are geek-centric, and you can be too. Welcome back to the Geek Centric Podcast. My name is Justin, and today we have a special interview with a Hollywood producer and a friend of the podcast. But before we get to that, if you're joining us for the first time, this is a weekly podcast covering the world of film, television, gaming, toys, collectibles, and all things geek centric. Joining me for today's episode is my friend Andy Horowitz, Executive Vice President at Atlas Entertainment, the film production company behind massive hits like Christopher Nolan's Batman films, Wonder Woman 1 and 2, and Justice League. Some of Andy's projects include the Oscar-nominated film American Hustle, starring Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Amy Adams, and Jennifer Lawrence. Also, 2016 Suicide Squad, starring Will Smith, Margot Robbie, and Jared Leto. And the Netflix film Triple Frontier, starring Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam, and Pedro Pascal. Andy started his career as an assistant to Charles Roven and worked his way up to becoming a powerhouse producer leading multiple projects in the industry. We are so excited to have him on the podcast to learn more about what he does, his passions, and what it's been like reliving Suicide Squad again with the release of James Gunn's new film. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. Andy, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, on the Geekcentric podcast. I'm, I'm super excited to, to get you on here and someone of your background and your expertise and uh, what you do, which of course we'll, we'll elaborate on much, much more in, in a couple questions. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here and uh, a big fan of what you guys do. You know, part of uh, the reason why we do what we do is is because uh, we enjoy watching what you guys do and how you interpret it. That's what it's, that's why that's what makes it all worth it for us. Exactly. So you know, before we kind of learn a little bit more about what you do and 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 your role and and so on, um, I thought we could start our conversation just like we start our, our regular episodes. On most of our episodes, we start with something called Whatcha, and Whatcha is where we can share with one another anything we've been watching, reading, listening, basically anything we are enjoying right now. So, Andy, what you been up to, bro? Well, I mean, I've I've been a busy, but it's been a busy year, you know. It's right. been uh, we've we've been up to. A lot of stuff. I mean, the stuff I've been enjoying on TV right now, I will say, is I'm, I'm deep into the White Lotus and uh, okay. and just really, really enjoying it. And I've I've always kind of had a thing for movies and shows that take place in Hawaii, and I, right. I love Hawaii. It's sort of like my my second home away from home. And it is, I will say, it's the first thing that I've seen about Hawaii, sort of, but takes place in Hawaii that kind of doesn't make me want to go to hawaii like it's, it's, Interesting. A, it's like i feel like every film i've seen that shoots there or takes place there it sort of makes you want to go and this is the first one and i i weirdly kind of love it because of that like it just i i just don't know how to feel when i watch it which i which i like you know i like the fact that it's just like this anxiety inducing show uh with the craziest characters ever in a in a you know resort in hawaii Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think I think I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen much on it. Is it a is it a show? Is it streaming anywhere? Or yeah, it's HBO. HBO. You oh, know, okay, it's on cool. HBO and HBO Max. You watch it. Um, it's called White Lotus. It's Mike White uh, that wrote and directed all of it, actually. Oh, so he's, it's, okay. it's very much in his voice. And, you know, the basic concept is it takes place in, uh, you know, the four seasons on Maui. 
Right. And it just shows you, you know, these crazy people that have the ability and the money to afford, you know, a, a $9,000 a night hotel room, you know, who they really are, what their lives are really like, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a weird character study. And it's, it's, it's one of those shows too, that the tone of the show is entirely defined by the music and the music mm -hmm. and the score is really interesting and weird and, it's definitely worth checking out. It's it takes a few episodes to get into it, but once you're in, you are you are in. But uh, but yeah, it's called White Lotus. It's on HBO. I'll definitely I'll definitely have to check it out. Um, yeah. For myself, I actually uh, just watched uh, Val Kilmer's documentary called Ah, Val. so did I. So did I. Yeah, it was really like obviously we won't give away spoilers here on this conversation, but like honestly, it was it was heartfelt. It was heavy. It, uh, it and it really it, it gives. You know, I've always respected him as an actor. I think he's, right. he's been such a talented actor forever. But it gives you a lot of insight into, you know, how the the mind of those sort of genius character actors or those people that really go go meta, you know, that really lean in and uh, and go method and yes. you know what their lives are like outside. And you know, I don't know. I, I learned so much about him, and it 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 just make it just gave me a whole new level of respect for what he's done and what he's accomplished. And it was a nice little trip down memory lane just to see some of the old stuff that he had done and the behind yeah. the scenes stuff. And yeah, the behind the scenes know. stuff I appreciated. I, I love the behind the scenes, and um, yeah. that part was was a lot of fun. I I also felt like you know to your point, Andy, he he kind of like the the documentary really highlights how he is an artist. Like his approach yeah. was very artistic, and and I I, totally. I was. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, to go to a visual arts school and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just could see some of the people that I went to school with, like the painters, the sculptors in this person who was such a method actor and, and just found his way through not just acting, but all sources of visual medium to really yeah. kind of express himself uh, so beautifully. So I, I don't know, like the doc was great. I love the collaboration with his son. And yeah. if, if anyone's listening and you haven't checked it out, it's on Amazon prime, do check it out. It's, it's, it's really cool. Enjoyable. Yeah. It's really cool. And some of the footage that he has, you know, like some of the behind the scenes stuff from Island of Dr. Moreau with Marlon yes. Brando. And, yeah. You know, right? like you're watching some of that stuff and you're like, holy shit. Like, it's just, I don't know. And, and just think about like, you know, carrying a camera around back then, you know, that's a camera that you have to put on your shoulder that probably records on yes. VHS tapes. Um, just a very different thing comparatively to now when everyone's got a camera in their pocket. And so it's to think that he was sort of an early adopter to, you know, filming everything on his own when he had to have these old school cameras. It was super cool. It reminded a lot about, it was, you know, that's how kind of I was in high school and yeah. you know, I, I was that guy too. Right. No, that's, that's exactly it. Like even with myself yeah. with like a, you know, I think we used mini, mini, yeah, mini uh, DV, mini DV. Yeah. Mini DVs, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but like, yeah, you know, even in 1983 when, uh, you know, that one stood out for me in that documentary when he was yeah. filming Sean Penn and uh, Kevin Bacon. And yeah. you just, you see how young they are. Totally. And also people were, were themselves because there was no, they're going to upload it to the internet, right? There was no internet. So it was like, yes. there wasn't much to do with that footage except right. to show it to certain people at your house. And so yep. I think when people were being videotaped and recorded back then, it wasn't the way that we look at it now where you're worried yep. about it popping up on the internet yep. and, and everyone and millions of people seeing it back then it was just, you knew it was going to stay yeah. with him. There was really nowhere, nothing to do with it. Back yeah. Then. It was a genuine vulnerability behind the, was seeing these people 
Yeah. Uh, one last thing, uh, I got to mention it just because it, it helped me for today, but I listened yeah. to the podcast uh, uh, from uh, Ryan Perez. Uh, podcast is called An Actor's Despair. It, it actually was, yeah. was your episode. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I wanted to get a little more context because uh, uh, of our questions that we're asking you today are a little bit outside of that. So I yeah. wanted to make sure that there wasn't any repetition and, and so on. But I got to say, to hear your story, man, like to hear the struggles and to understand <laughs> what goes in to being a producer in Hollywood. Like, yeah. dude, like all power to you for the success that you've had in, it sounds like it's a very relatively short period of time. I guess 2007 is kind of your kickoff start. If you were it really is, thinking yeah. about it. I mean, you think that's like, I mean, I'm, I'm coming up at almost 15 years here at Atlas Entertainment. So it's been, uh, it is why, you know, when I say the word, the words 15 years, it's like shocking that when it comes out of my mouth, but it feels like I just started yesterday, you know, it all went by so fast and, uh, it's been pretty great. It's been a great journey so far. And as I said, at the end of it, you know, the good news is I'm, I'm just getting started, which is good. Yes. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Right. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well with that, I think it's perfect for us to get into our first question that I have for you. And it's kind of inspired yeah. by the meme generations of today, right? Cause you know, there's always yeah. like that. What do your friends think you do? And then what I actually do. So mm -hmm. what do you, what do friends commonly think you do? You know, my friends and I still am lucky enough to have, you know, a big group of friends that I've known since I was in kindergarten and, wow. and have saw me grow up and, and always saw me growing up with the kid with the camera in his hand and the one making the home videos and editing things together. And, and so it's funny because they they look at the movies that I make and the movies that my company makes, and they think that all I do is fly around on private jets and have fancy dinners with celebrities, and you know uh, wipe my ass with dollar bills and <laughs> you know do that. They they think that's what my life is, and it's completely I would say the opposite. I mean, yes, at times there are an occasional private jet flight sure. on a movie or having dinner with actors and actors. But for the most part, you know, uh, producing is a 24 seven gig. So we don't right. clock in and clock out. We're 24 mm -hmm. seven, 365 days a week. And the way I always explain it is that Hollywood doesn't slow down because we're taking a day off or I have uh, I want to go on vacation. Hollywood continues right. to keep going. And if, if you, if you clock out for any period of time, Hollywood will pass you by, you know? And so sure. you sort of have to always have your, your hand on the pulse and but really it's you know what we do is is sort of you know the best analogy i guess is we continue to push boulders up hills all day long while there are plenty of people at the top of the hill that are kicking them back down at us and we're just continuing to push it back up and that's that's probably the best analogy of what we do you know every film right. you know as i tell people like every movie is a miracle you know it really is like any yeah. movie that actually gets made anytime you actually have a set where there's cameras there and there's actors there and you're about to call action for the very first time, all the things that had to go right to get to that point is usually yeah. years of being told no and struggle and blood, sweat and tears and failures and, you know, all to get to that point of just getting to be able to shoot a movie. And right. then once you do that, you know, every day on the set is its own challenge and its own set of problems that are there to solve. And then once you get to the point where you finally shoot the whole movie and you've got it on the can, you know, then you run into the post-production process where, again, every day is a right. new challenge and there's new problems to solve. Right. Okay, so that's what your friends think you do. 
So how would you describe to them what you actually do? So the best way I would describe, you know, to my friends that are outside the business or what I do is it's, it's really a, a, I'm a problem solver and a deal maker. It's really what it is. And it's continuously right. trying to create situations where I can put packages together that people want to invest money in to go make because they believe it's going to make a good movie, not because they just want to make a good movie, but more importantly, they want to make money on the movie. So it has sure. to be financially successful as well. Um, so I think producers are really responsible for the the lifespan of the film. You know, they're there when the right. movie is born and they're there when the movie is sort of buried and done, you know, so we're, <laughs> we're sort of the, we're the constant denominator, I think, in almost every film that's made. Well, yeah, and that's 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 a really great way to put that. And 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 I think like again, re referencing uh, Ryan Perez podcast, and yeah. and just learning the insights of certain movies like Triple Frontier or American Hustle was another one. Like I think it's so crazy to think that you know we we as the the people that enjoy the content just sit there, but we don't know the trials and tribulations that go into that. Which is now why I find myself so passionate about the behind the scenes and you know watching shows like on Netflix. They have um, uh, the movies that made us. Uh, yeah, and and I love that just, show. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that behind the scenes aspect of learning about like the the latest season talks about with Jurassic Park and learning about all the insights with the animation and stuff like that. Just so so cool to see. And again, the trials and tribulations that people went through to get that project and the success that it it garnished. Obviously, as as we went through. Um, yeah. So. You said in the, in the podcast as well, you just mentioned it in, in, in this discussion here that you went to film school. Um, yeah. And I, I was curious, like I, in the podcast, you talked about how like there, there was no program for producing, uh, which I no. thought was obviously very, very interesting. But if yeah. you didn't get into producing, is there any other avenue of production that you would have gotten into? Because you said you you did uh, from from cinematography to screenwriting to yeah. I think editing as well. So would there be any other any other place that you could see yourself or you'd like to dabble in maybe in the alternate universe of Andy working in movies? I mean, there is a weird world where I would love to direct a movie one day. I think, okay. you know, there I've, we I've go. I'd love that. you know, I, it, it's never going to be something that actively pursue it. And to me, if it ever happens, it'll just be because I just sort of fell into it and it kind of right. just happened. So, so, you know, to me, it's something that would be fun, but I would do it because it was fun and not because it's something that I've been sort of chasing down that dream all day, yeah, every year. It has to be the right opportunity, the right story, I guess, too, yeah. right? Like that would have to be a huge part uh, with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've mentioned all the various projects that you've been a part of uh, yeah. over the last 15 years of doing this. Um, and in that 15 years, is there a project that you really enjoyed working on the most and why? You know, I would say, the, and I tell people this, the most fun I've ever had making a movie was was definitely Suicide Squad in 2016. Right. Um, it was the most unique set I think I've ever been on just in terms of the camaraderie, the, you know, there's so many reasons why, but for me, it was the first big movie that I had a real responsibility on. You know, it was like I was, it was sure. my first shot to kind of, be a producer that's there every day that people are looking to for answers to sort of guide the ship to uh you know being really under the hood with all the actors and making sure that they were happy and that you know we were keeping everyone on track and on schedule and on budget and you know it just was one of those that it was it was a really hard movie and a really difficult movie but 
just the most fun I've ever had making a movie. Uh, it really right. was. And, and but you know, and then I my my tagline to that is that the least fun I've ever had uh, posting a movie in post production. Right. But, um, you know, and, and I I don't think there's a correlation between those two things between the so having a lot of fun making the movie and then struggling with it in post production. But but um, it was a blast to make and my fondest memories. And you know. I met my wife on that movie as well. Like, I know that's like, crazy, right? I know, you know, yeah. yeah. But yeah, like um, yeah. when when you speak about Suicide Squad, man, uh, uh, you know, it was filmed in our in our backyard in Toronto. It, it was all over the news. Just just how much fun everyone was having. I remember seeing Jai Courtney and um, Jay Hernandez with my wife at the Blue Jays game, and they were just like trying <laughs> not to like make. But they looked at me, and I was like, I know who you guys are, and I know why. <laughs> I know why Jay Hernandez is completely bald right now. Uh, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> no eyebrows. We, we, we shaved yeah. his eyebrows off as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it was a, you know, we had such a good time in that city making mm. that movie and, you know, we were all there for nine months. So we, yes. we spent so much time there and, you know, the city was so good to us and yeah. it was just, you know, as you, as you saw, you know, we, we took over downtown for a, a yeah. substantial period of time and, you know, uh, it was a fun, fun process making that movie, but, but a tough one, but they're all tough. A tough, I mean, yeah, I know. And it looked funny. fun though. And I yeah. think that yeah. that sort of, uh, family that came together on that production was felt yeah. very much so, uh, throughout its sort of, you know, run of, of the marketing and, and leading up to it. So, um, yeah. yeah. That's that's crazy. That's that's cool. Um, okay, let's get yeah. to the next question here. Who is someone you've worked with in the past that you would want to work with again? Uh, definitely Margot Robbie. You know, she right. is uh, is a force to be reckoned with, and no doubt the most talented person I think I've worked with. Just in terms of of just being the coolest person ever. You know, mm -hmm. like just someone that is is a team player always has the best interest for the movies in mind, does the work through and through, like really does the work, comes prepared, you know, in Suicide Squad and both of them, you know, she did most of her stunts herself, you know, right. anything that she could do, anything that we would let her do, she would do, um, you know, uh, she's got a, a, her stunt double is this woman named Ingrid who's so talented too mm -hmm. and is so amazing at what she does. And I think, Ingrid is always there and doesn't get to work as much as she wants to because because Margo right. really takes it upon herself to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, so my goal is, you know, there's there's a, uh, one or two things that we're talking to her about. And I would love to, to get one of those things made in the future because she's just a, a pleasure to work with. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that about her. I've heard that she's just so down to earth and and she has yeah. such a uh, an approach to not just her acting but just like to the movie itself. Like do oh, do yeah. you find do you find and this is not specifically to Margot Robbie, but you know, working with actors specifically that also want to or that step into that producing role, how do they necessarily take on two roles? Is it more of like a creative input or is does it it's a, extend to It's a little bit else? of both. You know, right. oftentimes when actors have producing credits, it usually means they were involved in the project well before there was financing, well before it landed a studio, and they were integrally involved in the getting the movie made process, you know, all, not just because they were attached and it, it lends value to them, but because they actually picked up the phone and made calls. And, you know, when, when you're an actor producer, there's a real responsibility that you have as a producer. And so, right. you know, oftentimes when, you know, actors, could make special requests and asks and scheduling issues and 
sometimes those requests come with a financial cost. And so when they're an actor producer, you can go to them as their producing partner and go, hey, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we uh, have to move the schedule around to make this work, we lose X amount of money. And if we lose X amount of money, that money gets pulled off screen. And is that really something that we have to do? And oftentimes with actor producers, they'll take a step back and go, okay, wearing my producer hat, you're right. This is irresponsible for me to ask this. Well, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, and so it really does help oftentimes to have an actor or an actress that is a producer because awesome. they have, you know, as a producer, the most important thing is the movie. You know, it's, right. it's more important than an individual. It's more important than the most important thing as a, as a producer is you're always protecting the movie and the movie's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So when you have a, a big piece of talent that has the producer hat on, it's really helpful to know that, that your star of your film is not just thinking about what's best for them, but is what's thinking about what's best for the movie mm-hmm. itself and for the whole lifespan of the film. Um, so, you know, and I will say Margot is is one of the few actor producers out there that truly does the work as a producer. Mm-hmm. You know, she right. really rolls up her sleeves. She picks up the phone. She gets involved. You know, she really cares. She seems like gonna, that kind of person, right? Like, yeah, she, she yeah. does. And she's not, and she's, she has a tremendous amount of respect for the title producer. You know, it's not right. just something she gets to make some extra money or to have some more control. It's really something that she does because she wants to help the facilitation of the movie being made and the quality of the film and be involved in the process. And, and I don't blame, you know, a lot of these actor producers that want to be more involved in the process, because as we all know, you know, movies can go off the rails. And if you're a big star in a big movie that doesn't work, it's going to have an effect on your career. And so I don't blame a lot of these people for wanting to be more involved and just to have a say in the process sometimes. And you'd be surprised how helpful it is when you're dealing with the studio that, you know, may have a certain opinion and you know a big piece of talent that also happens to have a producer title weighs in sometimes it does carry more weight than just us producers and it's helpful that they want because they want to keep everyone happy right exactly exactly that makes that makes a ton of sense um you know speaking of like producing movies you know you talked a little bit in in the in the podcast as well uh about you know producing triple frontier that that obviously took quite a while what was the strategy around that movie to Kind of because I, I guess it, it it was a straight to to streaming platform was it or yeah. what did it release? Well, Netflix theaters? Netflix made it. No, Netflix actually made it. We did get a very small theatrical Netflix right. release, which was like Perfect. you know twenty theaters on twenty right. screens for two weeks. It was just right. sort of a, a vanity release. But but um, but yeah, I mean Netflix they didn't just buy that movie. They actually we physically made that movie with Netflix Crazy. and as one of their big originals. Yeah. And and so, so with that, like, you know, obviously you're coming from something like Suicide Squad or doing a movie like Suicide Squad, that's a little bit more, I guess, CGI to a certain degree. Do you like doing the the more, you know, production heavy sort of green screen CGI stuff or, or do you like the, the, the sort of rugged, real sort of aesthetic of, of filmmaking, like getting into it as, as you would. I mean, I, as a producer, you know, I always try to tell people this when they want to come visit me on set is like set is fucking boring. You know, it really is like, it's fun for about 10 or 15 minutes to see famous people and to see it. But like, for the most part, being on set is a real slow burn and it it gets real boring after about, you know, when guests come to set, I would say usually about 45 minutes in, they're ready to go. 
Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah, they just so, want to see what it's about, right? Yeah, and it gets way more boring if you're sitting on a green screen stage for sure. months and months at a time, you know, playing make believe with green, you know, people wearing green suits and and so for me personally, I I always preferred like the the sort of practical old school movie making way and you know, oftentimes it's just not affordable to do it that way and right. and the way in which we make films usually is is uh, guided by the most cost-effective way to do it as opposed to the best way to do it. So, um, but with Triple Frontier, we really, we made that movie old school way. You know, we shot, we shot yep. almost that entire movie uh, on location yep. with real, ca- real cars and real stunts and in, you know, in the elements. And, yeah. you know, we only, we only spent three days on a stage and that was the interior of the helicopter while it was crashing. But outside of that, we were there. We were in all those places, and yeah. it—you could feel it. I mean, if you watch Triple Frontier and you're watching the scenes where they're freezing their asses off, you know, sitting around a fire trying to keep warm, or Ben Affleck, you know, is is sort of you know shivering. I mean, that's all real. Like we're freezing our asses yeah. off up in yeah, the Sierra yeah. Nevada mountains. And yeah, yeah. To me, it's just like you just have—it feels more authentic when the audience is watching it. But you're—it feels like you're there. And I think if you compare that to you know the George Clooney movie that came out on Netflix, which I'm I'm blanking the name, just came out this year, I think. Where there, it takes place like up in the Arctic, and he's freezing his ass off the whole movie. I mean, uh, I'm watching that film, and I'm going, "This is all on a stage," and I get it. Like you know, the, but, but they shot so much of that on a stage that you could just tell it feels very. I don't know. It, it feels very. It feels artificial. Um, I I yeah, I, I, I totally does, agree yeah. with you, and I knew that most of, uh, of Triple Frontier was shot on location. I do yeah. agree. I think that there is an authenticity to the acting, putting these actors in location, yeah. uh, on real sets uh, that 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 makes them kind of, you know, really connect. I think like, uh, have you seen The Green Knight? I haven't yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I just haven't caught it yet. It's fantastic. And and Joel Egerton talks about, you know, what it was like being on that set and how he was able to just sort of connect with the mm-hmm. environment and really embrace his character. And I think that that's yeah. what that really does yeah. in those in those situations is it really opens that door for the actor to really connect with with that character. With And again, your cast for Triple Frontier, you know, you got yeah. Oscar Isaac, you got Ben Affleck. Charlie Hunnam, Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Right. And they're um, but like, and yeah. Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal are like, like best friends like, you know what I mean? like yeah i mean and they were you know they are besties and it's funny like you know just going back really quickly to the you know the, the being in the elements and i remember sitting there with pedro while we were up in the sierra nevadas up in mount by mammoth mountain and we were shooting and, and we were truly freezing i mean like literally freezing and, <laughs> yeah. and i remember him you know talking about uh you know how freezing we all were and how cold we all were and i remember looking over at him because we had just cast him in, in Wonder Woman too. And, and so I, and, and we were talking about it and I just said, Pedro, you know, remember this moment because when you're on a green screen stage for three months at a time on Wonder Woman 2 being bored to death, you're going to really appreciate being here in the elements, freezing your ass off. And, and he laughed. Uh, he thought that was hilarious. And so, yeah. you know, I, we spoke after Wonder Woman and he was like, you know, I, I thought about that moment. <laughs> and, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, there's just a real, there's a real difference from from physically being there and and being on a stage with, with green screen around it. But yeah, I loved our cast on Triple. Triple was it? We had a we had a, again that was another one we had such a great time working on and 
the cast were real pros and team players and we put them through some serious shit in that movie and they they came out in such a great way and dude they felt so connected right like it, it just yeah. it was it was really great how there was that sort of brotherhood that really leaps through the screen and and i that's what i really enjoyed about it i i yeah. really enjoyed that you really connected with the characters and the elements and and so oh, on yeah. um yeah okay let's let's get into some other questions here these are more questions that are surrounding some some news things and and some other yeah. stuff that i'd like yeah. to talk because we're, we're getting towards the mm -hmm. end here and there's there's something specific i'd like to ask you just with your expertise and, and sort of the background that you have um yeah. You know, right now there's a lot of news surrounding lawsuits between actors and studios as they push their movies to be released as both in both theaters and direct to consumer content on streaming yeah. platforms. Um, you know, how is this changing the industry, and, and and what needs to happen for this to be more future proof and and protect you know all people, all parties involved. You know, I don't think there's a good answer for that right now, because I think right, right. now we're in the middle of a transition phase, and so mm -hmm. there are a lot of studios that are just trying certain things to see if it works because we don't know what the the norm is going to be we're not in the norm anymore and so i do think two years from now then we will we will figure it out and i think the mm -hmm. studios will figure out what works best for them um you know the lawsuits uh, i get it you know like these are people that you know have worked their ass off have potentially taken less fees for bigger pieces of the back end and up until just a few years ago, you know, actors made far more and producers and directors and writers, you know, we all made far more money on the back end by the, the, the success of the film than we did on the fees we get paid to make them. Right. And so for so many people, that was that's how people got rich, you know, from back end right. money and from making and, and from gross and theatrical gross and all of that stuff that comes into play. And now I think everyone feels that it's, it's just that it's changing, you know, and that's is, going, yeah. it's going away. It just is going away. And I think, you know, to me, the future of where the business is going is going to be a, a more volume based business as opposed to a one off based business, meaning that you just need to make more movies to make the same money that you were making, you know, with one big hit. And it's hard to determine what's a hit these days, you right. know, like it, it just is, yeah. is because yeah. you don't know you know, how some of these films would have done in the box office had they not been offered to people for free at home. You just don't know. And and we will never know what the real effect of that is going to be. Um, but I will, I can, I can probably say that it's going to be a bit before we see a billion dollar movie again. You know, I don't know sure. how, I don't know how a movie makes a billion dollars again, unless theatrical goes back. And even if you look at I don't know. It's a it's a it's a hard question to answer because we're sort of right in the, in the midst of it, right? Yeah, and and as and as I said, you know, people studios are trying. Everything is sort of experimental at the moment. Let's try mm -hmm. this. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try a different approach. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error that are going to be that's going to be happening in Hollywood for the next year and a half, probably, while we get through the pandemic. And during that trial and error period, there are going to be a lot of feelings hurt and a lot of people that are feeling like they their movie didn't get its day in court or right. uh, they should have made a lot more than they did initially. And it's really a product of of trying to come to terms with the fact that it's uh, just harder and harder to to make real money in this business as a creator and as a as a producer and as an actor and anywhere that you're not uh, part of the 
conglomerates that are running these streamers. Yeah, I, I guess it's like the golden days, right? I guess you could say the industry has already gone through a bit of a change with yeah. the whole, you know, streaming content and Netflix and, you know, now Disney Plus is in on this and, you know, what are they doing with, with you know, their, their, with their properties and how they, how they place things. So, you know, obviously yeah. then you factor in COVID into this whole situation. It's yeah. only going to make more things worse. But I, I imagine, I think yeah. it's safe to say you're a theater guy though, right? Like you like to see movies I, in theaters. I, I, I am. And I would, yeah. you know, I'm always going to be that way. That's just because it's how we grew up. You know, it was, it's, it's where it's, it's where I fell in love with movies sitting in a movie yeah. theater, not sitting right. at home. And I think, you know, <clears throat> it's just, it's a, the, the landscape is, is constantly evolving. And I do think that, you know, in my opinion, there are studios and corporations that have used the pandemic to make a change that they've wanted to do, but haven't had an excuse to do it. And Very I think true. now with, with the pandemic, it was like, oh, now we can operate under the, 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 it's the pandemic, which is why we're making these decisions when actuality, these decisions are best for, you know, they're best served to the streaming services and the corporations that own right. them, as opposed to the, the people that are, that are making these films. And so, right. um, you know, it's a, it's just a very strange time right now. And I think anyone that, that pretends to tell you that they know exactly why things are happening and how they work, uh, I, I would question that in, in a significant way, just because those of us that have been in the business for a very long time, you know, it's, we're looking around and going, well, we just, we're trying to catch up, you know, what's, how is it, what's the best way to do it? And we're just trying all sorts of different things. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's evolving. It's just going to continue to evolve. And I, I don't think we're going to be in the quote unquote new normal for at least, you know, a year or two here. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of exciting too at the same time to see the industry sort of go through a process of maybe reevaluating what really deserves an in-theater experience and what can be yeah. experienced at home, especially given obviously the pandemic, but just giving more situations and options for for people, right? Like it, the the reality Absolutely. is is the reality for for us here in Canada, it's like, you know, we go for a movie, it's like $15 to see that movie, right? If you're a family yeah. of four, you know, that that gets that gets up there and then you got to get all the concessions and stuff like that and that's where these places really make their money so oh, it's yeah. a bit different i know per per country but i know that there's there's options if and if there's options then consumers are going to have that option right absolutely and it's and it's not all doom and gloom you know it's just no, not for sure. there are absolutely there's absolute benefits to the new model and what's happening you know there are so many different ways to look at it where there's a silver lining that makes sense you know for the fans and again that's that's who we make movies for that's why we yeah. grind away every day is for the fans that's that's, yeah. the, that's the best that's the reason we do it and so you know, there are so many movies that would never get made during the, right. in the traditional theatrical studio world that we lived in prior mm -hmm. to COVID and prior to streaming. And so now with streaming and, and with this new model, it is giving a lot of movies that would have just never seen the light of day an opportunity to get made because there's a different financial structure that, that comes with them in which the studios won't lose money on them. You know, they, they need to fill slots and they need to keep making movies in order to do that. They need to be looking into you know, different nooks and crannies that they may not have looked at before. And it's just, it's giving us the ability to, like I said, get movies made that may not have gotten made right, before. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's great. Because, you know, all three of us here at Geekcentric are, are huge fans of, of the movie theater experience. So, um, yeah, that, that's yeah. great. So let's get to my next question here, yeah. which is about Suicide Squad. So yeah. in 2015, I had the opportunity to go to Comic-Con and I think you were there 
uh, as yes, well. Yes, it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were there promoting Suicide Squad. And yeah. honestly, I, I wasn't in the in-hall age to actually see the trailer. However, yeah. it did leak, and there were people that yeah. were sharing it. And yeah. I watched that thing, I think, a bajillion times. Like, I was so blown away. Um, yeah. And that was probably the last time I ever saw that dark, gritty tone, as the movie was obviously <laughs> much, much different. And obviously, there's been a lot of discussion with the release of, of, of the Suicide Squad and the director, yeah. David Ayer. Uh, coming out and saying that it, you know it wasn't his original vision um so yeah. my question really isn't around what happened with that movie but more or less what can happen what what sort of things happen um that that would suddenly change the direction of a movie so far from from either its original vision or the director's original vision yeah i mean i'm happy to, to get into it a little bit you know we you know that that moment where we got to show that trailer was like, it was an incredible moment because, you know, what, what a lot of people don't know is that first trailer that came out, you know, with, with, with Margo hanging from the cell and, you know, we had only shot half the movie. We hadn't even yeah. shot the whole second half of the movie yet. So yeah. as we were shooting the first half of the movie, we were delivering and turning around shots to Warner Brothers so they can start working on the trailer because don't forget, we started shooting that movie in early April Yep. and of 2015 and then that trailer came out in mid-july of 2015 so think about that turnaround right <laughs> we had to we, we only had a few months to shoot color edit deal with the visual effects and and we're doing that while we're making the movie and that's how mm -hmm. that's how these things work you know we yeah. knew we knew we had comic-con we wanted to hit and so we started to pick and choose scenes that we felt like we're going to make a great trailer for that moment and you know as i said that trailer that trailer consists of footage that we had only shot for the first two months of a, what was a massive shoot so if you think about the shoot itself was probably a i can't remember the exact number but between 100 and 105 days you know we had only shot about 30 to 40 days at that point that we wow. cut that trailer yeah. with so half the movie hadn't even been shot yet yeah. but you know one of the great things about that trailer and that moment was you know we had when we had premiered that trailer like myself and all the cast we got on a plane in toronto at 5 a.m that day yeah i know you know, flew, was... flew to from flew from toronto to san diego got off the plane went straight to the convention center showed the trailer got to experience that i mean when you get that moment of getting to show you know five to ten thousand people in hall h that kind of thing and have them go bananas and then run from hall h back to the plane and get back on the plane and fly to toronto i mean it was such a whirlwind day. We literally, had, you know, we, it, it was just wild, but, but what was amazing was up until that point, we had worked so fucking hard to get, yes. you know, to get the movie off the ground and to make it and to be able to come back to Toronto with, you know, this is feeling really good, you know, and to yeah. show our crew the trailer and go, look how, look at all this work you've been doing. And look at how great this piece is that we cut based on all the stuff that we had shot. And so, you know, like I said, that trailer only consisted of stuff from like the first quarter of the shoot. We still hadn't right. even shot like 75% of the movie. Um, and and that trailer definitely uh, totally was very much in line with what David's uh, script was and what the what the movie was initially supposed to be. So it was going yeah. to be. Yeah, that trailer like literally blew me away. And I just thought it was so different from what the movie was. That was the tone of the original movie. But let's not forget, you know, we were at that point a very small part of a big giant vision, right? So we had mm -hmm. sort of come out, come into that, you know, or at least me myself as as the as the 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 first DC EU movie that I worked on within the Zack Snyder, you know, universe that he had initially started and created. And so when we were coming in, we were kind of like, 
like the ugly stepchild. <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're making a movie with, with bad guys and, you know, the machine was already in full crank mode. You know, they had, they had done Man of Steel. They had done BVS. They were, they had, they were starting Wonder Woman. They were already thinking about Justice League. And then we were sort of this like suicide squad coming in with right. bad guys that isn't really connected to the other stuff that everyone's doing. And so, you know, we were sort of always like, Hey guys, like, remember us, you know, like we're, we're making right. this movie too. And, and I remember, you know, the days when we had like when Affleck came to set and we had Batman on set and we, the Batmobile yep. was out there and like, you know, trying to get the approvals from the other DC partners to get that stuff out. You know, it was just all like, uh, there was we a lot of people a, to please. There was a lot going on, you know, and, yeah. and there was, there was just so much happening. And we also, you know, we were also making a pretty dark movie uh, at a time when, um, and, and, and let's, let's, you know, let's be real. The movie that, that we made initially was, was greenlit, you know, David Ayer's script was greenlit by Warner brothers. And that was absolutely the movie that we made, but there's a, there's a lot, when you're thinking about these kinds of films, you know, you have to think about the, the big picture and, yes. and what was happening at that time is that, you know, we had shown our director's cut of the movie uh, to the studio, like, I mean, not too long after BVS came out. Right. And so, you know, BVS obviously did extraordinarily well from a financial point of view, but was getting beat up, you know, critically, critically because the movie yeah. was too dark. Yeah. Right. And so there was, I think, a, a pretty visceral reaction from the studio when they were getting beat up for having a movie that just came out too dark. And then they just watched a director's cut of a movie that was pretty fucking dark you know and yes. so their initial gut reaction was like well, well we got to lighten it up you know this can't yeah. be because everyone knew that we were going to be the next movie to come out after bbs and the dcu um and so from that point forward it was you know that's that's when sort of everything had kind of shifted and changed and um you know i guess the best way i could describe it is we were uh frankensteining a movie together yeah you know, based yeah. on what we'd shot yeah. and and you know that's kind of what it became yeah, well, David Ayer is probably one of my favorite filmmakers uh, just because of how real his films yeah. are. And he has such a like a deep personal background that I think like outside of film that he just applies to his filmmaking that makes his films feel so visceral and, and so yeah. so in the moment. So I thought it was interesting to see that trailer and to understand his his aesthetic. So definitely coming out of the movie, you knew that wasn't his vision. And, you know, with that, we're now here, 2021, yeah. uh, and we have James Gunn's mm -hmm. The Suicide Squad. A and, you know, I think it's, you know, I've, I've said that the original Suicide Squad from 2016 is edited or, or cut together very much like a James Gunn film with, with the music beats and, and just, just that Guardians vibe. Yeah. How is it to go through this process again? The movie was never supposed to be a Guardians of James Gunn style film. You know, it was, right. it was uh, the Dirty Dozen is really what it was supposed to be with oh, DC characters, okay. and and so you know that that's where that's what's that's where we started the journey. That's not where we ended the journey, but it's where we right. started the journey on that one. Um, and you know, there's obviously, you know, it was it was hard to uh, it, it was sort of bittersweet because obviously so amazingly happy that people are loving the new movie but um you know every person that that mentioned how much they loved the new movie also shit on the first movie and you know within the same sentence usually and i think people <laughs> you know i i wish i could remind people that the second movie that everyone loves 
exists because the first movie was made. And let's not forget that the first movie still made close to $750 million without a China release. And, you know, that, that there's a reason for that. And, and I think, you know, the cast members that people love in some of the cast members that people love in the new movie, we, they were created in the first movie and the looks were established in the first movie. And, you know, there's, so much of the DNA of that first movie that sort of carried us into this next movie that I think people often forget. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, and I, and I wish David would have mentioned that in his letter that, Hey guys, you know, you can shit on my movie all you want, but you have this beautiful vision from James Gunn, which I, know. which I think he did. Like, yeah. He he did sort of address it in, in a really, really professional way that I think yeah. he's celebrating that James Gunn was able to do his version of a suicide squad. And, and that's yeah. what Warner should really take from this is that allow your filmmakers to make the totally. movie they want. Um, you know, that paid off. And I, and I think that the one, the things that I appreciated that they did bring over were the character elements like Amanda Waller by with yeah. the, uh, Viola Davis, who was fantastic in both, right. Yeah. Jai Courtney, who was fantastic in both Margo, yeah. uh, of course, like all yeah. of that. Joel Kinnaman yeah, Joel, Joel Joel Kinnaman in both too. Yeah. Crushed it. Oh, both. Joel Kinnaman yeah. was so good in both here. He was just so evolved. Um, yeah. But, you know, that being said, it's 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 also really interesting to see that, as you said, that dichotomy of, of people saying celebrating one but shitting on the other. And yeah. I would always I say mean, like, that, like yeah, I mean, the, the new one exists because the first one was financially successful. Exactly. I mean, that, let's be real. I mean, that's we would never we would have never gotten to make a second one if the first one didn't work financially for the studio. For sure. That's how it works. If a, if a movie yeah. bombs financially, that's it. You know, adios. But um, but yeah, I mean, I what James did was completely unique to himself you know he didn't he didn't lean on that other movie he he really sort of came with his own vision and 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 it was so much fun and i I, you know even even when i first saw it for the first time i was like i cannot fucking wait for people to see this movie because (laughs) it's exactly what the world kind of needed right now they needed like a reminder of that you know movies can be fun and you know heartfelt i mean there's even though his movie is fun and crazy there's still some real emotional stuff going on yes. in there and some some really heartstrings that he pulls out at times and i don't know i mean he's just a he's the master he really is i mean james gunn is just an incredible incredible filmmaker and he's just got such a vision he has such a vision and he also knows like you know it's it's usually in the unknown characters that are the most interesting and that can have the yeah. most heart and you yeah. know i said this in our in our sort of spoiler filled review where it was like you know he has this innate ability in him to know what each character is meant to do and yeah. who serves what purpose and you know that's so well executed in terms of of what he's done here with the suicide squad i still hold though that if they do a sequel i would love to see will smith come back so i will say that <laughs> i would love to because i loved him i loved him in the movie oh, so he's so good as deadshot he's so good as deadshot and by the way i was just gonna say you know if i had to, if i had to pick another actor to work with again i mean there is a reason will smith is will smith and it is because right. he is just uh, a pleasure through and through and you know, is even on even in the first Suicide Squad when he was just an actor and not a producer, he was so integral to the camaraderie that was happening on that yes. film. His attitude and just the environment and the team that he brings with him. He's got a whole entourage of people, but those people are all amazing and their attitudes are amazing and they're great to be around. Mm-hmm. And he's just 
like a true ray of positivity, you know, everywhere he goes and what he's doing. And he just, it's, you just realize when he's doing it, you're watching him. You're like, that's why you are so successful because you're this way. Like you're just a pleasure to be with. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I heard a lot about him just kind of, he kind of brought that team together. And like, you saw it in that, that panel yeah. in 2015, when he, he was just like yeah. such a brother to, to everyone. Like, you know, there was just such respect and you, you got the sense of family. Yeah. I mean, he is. And I, he was, he said something to me when we were, when he first got to Toronto, that I'll never forget when we started that movie. And he said to me, you know, um, I just want to let you guys know you've never worked with me before, but but I'm here. I'm a team player through and through, and and that you know every department has its department head. So you've got the DP that's head of the camera department, you've got the production designer that's head of the art department, and you know you've obviously got all of these different department heads that sort of run these departments. And he goes, I look at myself as the head of an acting department when I'm on a set, and right. even though that's not a real thing, there's no title for that. He knows that those other actors are going to be looking to him when things get tough and 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 that and i remember very vividly you know there were so many moments that were tough on that movie where we were going into 15 16 hour days and everyone just wants to go home and people are over it and will walks on the set and he's going let's go everyone have you know like come on he's got a smile on his face and you know that everyone who wants to bitch and moan and complain that they don't want to be there they look at that and they go well, if Will Smith is acting that way, how am I going to be a grumpy jerk on set? And so sure. it just, it changes the mood and the environment on right. the set in the most positive way. And it's just, it's just nice having a guy like that on your movie. You know, it's just, it just, he, he brings so much to it. That's amazing. Uh, I, I really liked in the podcast with, with Ryan Perez that you talked about being able yeah. to witness the birth of, of two Jokers, uh, one from uh, yeah, Ledger yeah. in The Dark Knight yeah. and, and yeah. Jared Leto. And obviously you're on set yeah. with this. Um, so like my question, how, how crazy was Jared Leto? Like, was he like, I, I, we, like all the rumors we heard above like him leaving dead rats and stuff like that, like sending them to yeah. the actors and stuff like that is, that is some method that, that he really gets it into. Was. And obviously, so like, how true are these stories? 90% of those stories are true. You know, there's right. some embellishment on those stories and what he did, but I will say he kept it interesting. You know, like he did, he just did. And like, he would walk onto set and some people will be terrified of him and some people would be so entertained by what was going yeah. on. And like, he just kept it, he kept it fun and interesting. Yeah. And none of us that had been making movies up until the point, almost nobody had experienced something like that. So, right. you know, from, as a, from a producer, you know, when you're dealing with actors, I've never, I've never had to produce a movie with the actual Joker in the movie, meaning that right. he's acting like the Joker and talking like the Joker. And so oftentimes when you need to, you know, knock on an actor's door and go, Hey, I know we called you. I know you've been here all day. We need to call you a little early tomorrow. Or, you know, I know you have an engagement you have to get to at the end of the week. So we're trying to change the schedule. We're trying to make you work. You know, having those kinds of conversations with the Joker is a little bit of a different experience than having it with a normal actor. Like with Um, Will Smith. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but he kept it fun and he kept it entertaining and, you know, it never got, it never got, off the rails where it became a problem right and i remember you know and i had never met jared prior to him getting to toronto and and the moment he stepped foot in our production office in toronto jared went bye-bye you know and it was it was joker through and through and so i had spent you know four or five six months with him while we were shooting that movie and it wasn't until we wrapped him 
where he shot his very last scene and we wrapped him and he walked up to me and he goes, uh, Jared, nice to meet you. You know, and it was like, you know, it was like I had been with him for five months and it was always Mr. J or, or Joker. And yeah. so he came up to me afterwards, shook my hand. He's like, you know, I'm Jared. Nice to meet you. And I was like, oh, there you are. You know, it just, we finally came out of it. <laughs> it, it was, I like to hear some of the stories. And I think one of my yeah. favorites was when he dressed up like the, the Joker as like the tourist, you know, the, the oversized yeah. Hawaiian shirt, the hat and the camera. And he was like walking around Toronto. And I'm like, this guy <laughs> is in it. And I, 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 as a, as a huge geek, I, I totally appreciated every aspect of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, his crew was into it too. Even like his henchmen were like work, you know, hanging with him off set and driving around town with him and i mean it was it was it was a uh you know it was a real thing yeah <laughs> uh, that's i can i can only imagine um so speaking of geeky things um as we near the end end here of our of our discussion um one of my questions is actually about you personally um, and what you're geek centric about with geek centric. It's, it's really about like things that we, we might be passionate about. I, I know you're probably a film geek. I think it's safe to say that, yeah, uh, but yeah. outside of that, what, what are you passionate about? What do you love? I'm a, I, I surf a lot, you know, and I've been yeah. a surfer since I was, I've been surfing since I was 12. So, um, it's, it's one thing that I think not a lot of people know about me is I, every moment I can, I try to get to the beach and get on the board and get in the water. Uh, even if there's no surf, I'll usually just paddle out there to clear my head and hang out in the ocean for a bit. But um, I, that's kind of my, my, I mean, to me, it's that and, and rescue dogs and pit bulls are sort of my, right. my two things that yeah. I, that, that take over most of my life outside of making movies. And uh, any moment I'm not here in the office making movies, um, either out in the water or spending time with uh with the pities at home and and yeah. the, um fostering dogs and rescue awesome, dogs man. awesome that's that's good i'm i'm thank you for sharing uh yeah. what 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 you're passionate about what you love to do outside of what you already love to do and that's making movies yeah. as we wrap up here i'd love to know are there are there any projects that you're currently working on or or anything that's coming out soon um i mean you know there's there's a few i mean there's a i mean we have like seven as a producer you have to have about 100 things going at one time you know because right. It's just how it works. Uh, so there's so much that, that we've got going on. You know, there's there's a few things that I'm really excited about, um, you know, one of which is a, a um, big piece of IP, a video game that we're in the process of turning into a TV series. And so nice. that's something that just happened very recently. And then um, another thing on the TV front is I, I was a part of a podcast called Chameleon Hollywood Con Queen that we had made last year during the pandemic, um, which was a true crime podcast and a story that I was sort of roped into and involved in and we turned it into a true crime podcast and throughout the making of the podcast we actually caught a bad guy and unmasked a bad guy and, and got an arrest what and so and so since since then you know we've uh we've had a lot of interest in turning it into a scripted tv series so we um we just found a buyer and a uh, a network for that so we're about to turn wow. our pilot for that too and it's the very first time i've ever sold a pitch in which i was a character in the pitch in the story right, 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 which was right. a very strange meta process but so wait uh, is someone gonna cool. be playing you in this thing i mean well i don't know i mean i it's gonna i'm gonna have a hard time stomaching keeping the uh, character with my name in there so I, no for sure I'll, yeah you could you could make the change, change. I may yeah, make yeah. a change. Yeah. Just cause I, I don't know if I, I want to be a, see that it'll be strange, but, but yeah, so those two things, you know, I think are the two things that I'm probably most excited about right now. In addition to, you know, who knows where, where some of the stuff's going to go that we've been working on, but 
but we have a lot on deck at Atlas, you know, and we're, we're, we've been really busy for the last year and a half. Um, you know, we've got our uncharted Drake's fortune movie that comes out first quarter next year, which we're really excited about. And, um, so that's, that's cool that you guys are behind that. Yeah. So that's one of our films, uh, that comes out early next year that we're, we couldn't be more excited about. And, uh, you know, we'll see what, what the next one is that we get off the ground. I mean, it's, it's, it may happen here soon. And, and, uh, when it does, I'll be able to talk about it. Well, awesome. Well, you know, where to, where to find us. Cause we would love to have you back on the podcast so we could talk yeah. about all things geek centric. Um, thank you so much, man, for, for joining us today. Um, yeah, of course, of course. Thanks for having me. I mean, as I, as I said, you know, we, uh, I always try to remind people that, you know, most of the reason why we do what we do and, and leave our families for a year at a time to go make movies and spend, you know, our blood, sweat and tears on these things is, is because, you know, we're fans through and through and, and we love, and I love to what you guys do and to see how passionate you guys are about what we do. And, you know, it doesn't go unnoticed. I will say, Thanks, you know, man. We, we, we notice and we all pay attention and uh, it, it's, um, it's not for nothing. You know, it, it definitely means something to us that you guys do that too. Oh, dude, thanks so much, man. That that means so much to us because, you know, we just think of ourselves as geeks that are just being geeks <laughs> and loving what we do and, and talking about it. It means a lot that you think that. So thank hey, you, man. Thanks. If, if geeks and nerds didn't exist, you know, we wouldn't be doing what we do, right? So it's part of it. You know, we're all geeks and nerds at heart, you know. That's and exactly I think, it. As I said, it's a, it's a big motivating factor for what we do, we do, and it's what makes it all worth. So, awesome. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, thank well thanks you. for having me. Yeah. yeah right, man. Well, that's it. That's our interview with Andy Horwitz. Thank you so much, man, for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into us and let us know what you thought of the show, and if you had any thoughts, feel free to reach out to us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Keep in mind, we also have a ton of other episodes covering all sorts of content. We have our spoiler-free review for Disney's Jungle Cruise out now, as well as our spoiler-free and spoiler-filled review for James Gunn's the Suicide Squad. Also, we just wrapped up our watch club for The Bad Batch. Nate, Darcy, myself, and our guests, Megan Clara Dross, had a great time discussing the season finale. So if you're a fan of the Star Wars animated world, have a listen to that. And as one watch club ends, we are starting yet another one for Marvel Studios' What If, with our spoiler-filled breakdown available now, with our second episode coming later this week. Uh, so we have a ton of content uh, out right now for you to enjoy and uh, some new stuff coming soon. So make sure you subscribe so you know when our latest episodes drop. A huge thanks again to Andy for taking the time. Uh, this was tons of fun to actually do this interview. We hope you enjoyed it. But until next time, peace. Peace.